Hello. Let's try that again. Hello. My. My on. Can y'all hear me? There we go. All right. Turn with me to Romans seven, um, one through twenty-five. We're going to continue. Last week we talked about how we were slaves to sin, and now this week we get to talk about the freedom we have in Christ, and we're going to look at two things. First of all, I want to tell you, I'm praying for you as y'all begin um, starting school this week, or next week, however that goes for some of you, and I know as that's beginning, um, just remember to, to pray for the opportunities that God's going to lay upon you. Each one of you are going to have different opportunities where you are to spread the gospel of Christ. You can either take the opportunities or not. It's, it's pretty simple. How, how would you be remembered? What's going to be your legacy in high school? And remember, a legacy is not just defined within four years. Legacy is what you did within those four years and what are you going to do with them in Christ, either in high school or the three years you have in middle school. So, Let's, uh, let's look at verse 1. I'm going to break this down a little bit. We're going to look at the first section, which is going to be verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, that I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released by law from the marriage. According to, she would be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while, she, while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and she marries another man. She's not adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by law, were, uh, <clears throat> were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not the old way that was for written code. So let's look at something first. The first part of these six verses, we're talking about that Christ released man from law. But a better way maybe to say is, you know, Christ released us. You know, as Christ released us, not only did he release us from law, but it, it, it allowed a freedom, as we looked at last week, um, also from the bindingness of sin. But last week, you remember, he, the illustration he used was slavery. This week, what illustration does he use? He uses what? Marriage. Marriage is one of the most common illustrations in the Bible. A lot of times, the church is called the what of Christ. Say it loud. The bride of Christ. And, and, and what this is a symbol, uh, symbol of is what the positions of man and wife are supposed to be. Husband and wife, what they're supposed to be. The husband is supposed to be the provider, the protector, the one who loves you know, that, that's what that, that, that symbolization is. But see, the application here 
is this. A married woman who's married to, a man, uh, to, to her husband who lives with another man, in other words, so she has a marriage as a commitment. So she goes and she commits herself to this man but decides, hey, I don't want to live with you. I want to go live with this other man. That's subject to the law regarding of adultery. Okay? Only if her husband is still living. Okay? But if he had died and she becomes a widow, is she still bound to that commitment? No. Because he's died and now the commitment is broken. Okay? Not broken, but now it's unbinded. Believers... That's us. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Him, died to the law through the death of Christ. Now, what that means is, guys, all this written code, all these things that, that defined the laws that they're talking about is the laws that Moses brought down from Sinai, which means this. It was, our food, it was food regulations. It was dress regulations. It was all these things, okay? And we were bounded to these laws, and this is the way we were to live. Now, part of these laws also were the Ten Commandments. But we, we were bounded to all these laws, and, and, and these laws did a, a, several things um, for us that we're going to look at here in a second. But, but when Christ came, He released us. He broke the laws, he, uh, uh, he broke our bind to that law and said, you know what, you're released. See, the law, does, uh, the law does not and cannot bring victory over sin. See, the law that we had, the written word and the law of the Old Testament and all the things could not bring about victory over sin. See, because every year they had to bring, what, a new sacrifice, a new animal, a new something. And every year that, that, that offering had to be redone, 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 redone. But then God sent his ultimate, uh, ultimate sacrifice, his son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, it satisfied everything that was written within the law. See, the law does not and cannot bring victory over sin and death. Since sin is defined and even promoted through the law. Don't let that get confusing. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. But those who have died with Christ are set free from sin and law. We're no longer bounded by these things. Well, then, Kent, then, then if we're not bounded by law, does that mean that we do whatever we want? No. What it means is that we don't let a law guide us anymore. We let the Spirit of Christ, we let the Spirit, of, uh, uh, we let the Spirit guide us. We are free from Christ, I mean, we are free from law, therefore we live for Christ. See, Paul's talking to people who were, who were both Gentiles and Jewish. And how they brought up was they were brought up on all these strict laws. But, but they were missing the point of what God was trying to do. He was looking at the heart of the matter. I think Jesus Christ does it best when he does the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about, you've been taught... This, but this is what it really means. In the Old Testament, it says to hate your enemy. But Jesus says what? To what your enemy? Love your enemy. The, the, in the Old Testament, it says you shall not murder. But Jesus redefines that, right? He says if you have what in your heart? Hate. 
you have hate in your heart, that's just like murder. Anybody ever hate it in here? Okay. Honest people, thank you. Bunch of murderers right here. Yeah, I'm just joking. But the point being is, Jesus redefined that. I'm going to stay away from the ones who said thank you over here because if I feel anything in my back, I know where to go. Okay. I'm just kidding. Um, he redefined what adultery meant. Remember what he said? You said do not mean adultery. And see, and to the law, what that meant was a man should not sleep with another woman. That's not his wife. That's what that meant. But Jesus redefines that. He says what? If you look what? Say it loudly. If you look lustfully at a woman or a man, you have committed adultery. All right, fellas. How many of you have inappropriately have thought about a girl? And if you don't raise your hand, you lie. Okay. Because I was a teenage boy at one time as well. Okay. You did not have to raise both hands. <laughs> there were some boys doing this. I'm guilty. All right. I got it. I know. Okay. We, we all know, but one hand was good enough. The point is, we were missing the law by a long shot. We kept failing and failing and failing and failing and failing. And we're going to get a little bit into what I said about it defined and promoted it here in a second. So, but Christ had to come in and free us from that. So now we're free, and we're free not just from the law, but from sin. So therefore, sin, sin no longer should have reign in our life, which is true. But Paul goes a little further about that. Because guess what? How many of you are followers of Christ, but yet still struggle with some sin? Yeah, we do. And, and here's the deal. I do too. And you go, well, you're a pastor. I know. And that's why we have to look at the second one. The struggle of sin. I almost put the struggle was real. But I thought, <laughs> but I just thought uh, it might miss its point. But let's be honest, the struggle of sin is real. Would you agree with that? I mean, it, 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 it is real, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. But I've got to read this very long passage. So I want you to pay attention because there, there's so much good nuggets of truth and gold into it. But a lot of times when y'all hear the Bible, because you don't understand the fullness and the, and the comprehensiveness, because unfortunately we don't teach you, Everything and how to really, a lot of times you tune me out and you're missing the points. So I want you to pay attention to what this passage is saying because we're going to really talk about how the struggle of sin is real. See, a lot of people right now in this room feel like they're failures because they keep falling over and over in a sin. And I want to show you how Christ can forgive and help you through that situation. You have not lost your salvation. And a lot of people think that, and we're going to talk through that. So what then shall we say? 
that that the law is sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not know sin. So again, law, if you're taking notes, I would put on that um, section where it says struggle of sin. Law defined sin. Or if you want to say, you know, the law, yeah, the best way. Or the law, yeah, I think that would be the best. But the law defined sin. Okay. Make sure I said something here. Excellent. So it defines sin. And so then he says what? For I would not known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. Because if, if God did not tell us not to covet, we wouldn't understand that was a sin. That's what he's saying. It defined the boundaries of sin. Who learned the boundaries of sin from the Bible? Everybody. Okay. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. From apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. What he's saying is this, sin clearly defined, I mean, uh, sin, sin was defined by law, but number two under there, the law also promoted sin. Not that the law is sin, but see, this thing where sin comes in to law. For example, I don't know if you've taken American history yet or not, but let me ask you this. You probably know this answer, though. What was, what was the period of time that the most alcohol was consumed in American history at that, uh, uh, um, that time? And alcoholism rose during what period? Prohibition. Why? Bef- before then, it was average. And it was after prohibition while we're still fighting what we fight today on alcoholism. Why? Because the government said what? No more what? Alcohol. And what did, what, did, what did our nation do? They went nuts. Why? A rebellious nature. Tonight, I told you several of you not to run. And you still ran. Why? The rebellious nature. And that's what he's saying. When, when God clearly defined these were the sins, and he uses covetousness, for example, then the, then, the, then, the, then, then the nature of what sin is, which is rebellion. So if you're taking notes, I would go sin equals rebellion. So, so sin is equaling rebellion here. And so man has rebelled completely against God and that nature. So the nature of sin is there. And that nature... Is, it comes into the form of rebellion. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me. For sin seized an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, through it, it killed me. So the law is holy, 
and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. He's saying the law, because it came from God, is holy, righteous, and good. The law was not the problem. The law was not the problem. But Kent, you just said, yes, I know what I just said, that it defined sin and promoted sin, but the law was not the problem. Sin was the problem. Did that which is good bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what was good. So guess what? Not only does sin equal rebellion, but sin also equals what? Death. Sin equals rebellion, and sin equals what? Death. So because we have sin in our life, what did we deserve? Yes. But it's because of Christ we have now been giving what? Life. Okay. My middle schoolers, am I making sense to y'all? Okay, good. All right. Sure. Okay. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Okay, so what that's saying is this. I am of flesh. So he said, I was born of who? Adam. And because I was born of Adam, I'm what? I'm sold under what? Sin. Because Adam has sinned, you had sinned. We have a special name for Adam. Adam is called for mankind the what? Federal head. If you're taking notes, Adam is the federal head. What is a federal head? A federal head means to represent an entire place. For example, our president of the United States represents the entire United States. That's what a federal head is. Okay, the governor of Louisiana represents the entire state of Louisiana. That's the, a federal head. Make sense? Your principal, when he goes in somewhere, he represents your school or she represents your school. That's what's called a federal head. Okay? So Adam represented you and me, and because of that, we were sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I... This is my, one of my favorite verses, so tell me if this is you, okay? For I, do, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do, I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good. So now that is no longer I do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, my own flesh. I love that statement. I... I I know what to do, and I don't want to do it, but I still do it anyway. In other words, he's saying, I know what sin is. I know what the temptations are. I know not to do these things, but I still do them, although I hate them. Why? Because the struggle of sin is real. The struggle of sin is real, and he says, I do these things because this sin nature is still existing around me. Okay? But, but he doesn't use that as an excuse. Alright, let's go on. For I have desired to do what is right, not by the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I, good I want, but the evil I do 
I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Talk about that here in a minute. So I find to be that law that is when I want to do right. Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Wow, Kent, what was he talking about? I'm glad you asked. So let's talk about it. Some good stuff. So if you notice what I did is I kind of broke it down a little bit as we were talking for you won't be too lost, okay? So we see and understand that the struggle of sin is real. We understand that the law defined sin and it also promoted sin because sin has a, uh, sin equals rebellion. And we have this rebellion nature and we go against it and go against whatever authority or anything says. So what's the ultimate authority in your life? The Bible, the Jesus, through the Bible, through the Word of God, the law, in this case, at the time. And so, guess what happens? We rebel against that. But now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're now free from sin and free from the law. Okay? So... Confronted by the law, sin takes on that character of rebellion so that people enjoy transgressing commands in order to demonstrate their independence. The principle is illustrated from the Tenth Commandment, which um, prevents coveting, but yet we still, a lot of us, we covet. Covet means wanting the exact object someone has and wants that. And what, what I mean by that is, is not wanting something like it, you want that exact object. For example, he uses a man's wife, he uses a man's donkey, you know, and things like that. So in our case, what that would be is that you want someone's exact life. You want someone's exact house. You want their thing. A lot of times what we do is, um, we, uh, covenants comes in a new form today called Instagram or Facebook, or whatever, that you look at people's pictures, and you see this picture-perfect life, and people go, I could only be happy if I was just like them. That's covetousness. And he's saying, and in Paul's uh, many, I commit covetousness. It was defined by law, and then on that, that sin used the law to make me think about it. Because, see, he says, now it's sin, because I know exactly what I'm doing. Okay, so where is this going? Well, Paul goes on and he says this. Paul's describing Christianity in generally, not just Paul, but he's saying for all Christians, we all begin this struggle with sin. You know, it becomes a lot, the best example of it is a tug of war. Okay, on one side, we know in our minds what is right and what is righteous, and it's pulled. And the other side of the mind pulls because the, re, uh, the, re, uh, the rebellion side. So you have this flesh 
But see, this is what he goes. He goes this. Christians can and should grow in sanctification, which means God taking you and growing you, purifying you throughout their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And when he is talking to Christians in general, although the Christians are free from the condemnation of the law, sin nonetheless continues to dwell in them. All genuine Christians should be profoundly aware of how far they have fell short of God's absolute standard of righteousness. You will never, ever meet the standard. Okay? The standard of God was measured by Christ, by the Word of God. And when we take that measuring stick, we fall very short, don't we? Even if you are a follower of Jesus, you've fallen short. So this is a reminder that the sin and the struggle that we still have shows us that we don't have it all right. We're still going to struggle and do. But when we struggle, guess what? There is now forgiveness and grace and lovingness. Kent, does that mean I keep on sinning? No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when it's happening, there is love and forgiveness there. See, we don't sometimes fully understand that. He's not saying to continue to go on um, sinning. What, what, what Paul's saying is the struggle of sin is there. This whole room raised their hand and said, I still struggle with sin. What the Bible says as the church is followers of Jesus Christ, instead of judging other people and pushing them out the door, we should be coming together, loving them, and caring for them where they are to help them become sanctified, which means to be made holy by a loving God because you're not the judge and you're not the jury. He is. Amen or oh me. Yeah, there's some oh me's there. And that's where you fall short. Because you want to be the judge and the jury. Love your friends where they are. And God will take them where they need to be. Not the other way around. A lot of you want to save people. A lot of you want to even save yourselves, but see, that's not going to happen, and that's the whole point that it is, because Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says what about himself? Wretched man am I am. If any of you ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress, this is said like uh, several times through the book, and it's a reminder that nothing in which you can do can save yourself because you have fallen short of the glory of God. But, don't you love but sometimes? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't because when mom goes or dad goes, but, you know, you don't like that. But this is a good but. Okay? Why are you laughing at that word? Oh, I know why. Teenagers. But... There is grace. There is justice. There is holiness. So let's read that last line again as we end out. Wretched man that I am, who will 
deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I may serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In other words, what he's saying, we need to devote our hearts, our minds to God. And that although we fall short, God's grace is enough. His justice is enough. His grace is efficient for you and me. Some of you are really struggling tonight with some sin in your life. And I'm going to ask you, when we give it over to the Lord, we give it over to Him. And, and that doesn't mean that you're not going to fall. But as you lean more and more on God, that, we will, that He will help you through that. But see... The Bible teaches us in James that we're not to do this by ourselves. Some of you right now, you're just trying to live life by yourself. You're trying to live your Christian walk by yourself. It's not going to happen. You can't do it. See, that's the whole point of the church. The church is the body, is the family of God. And we're to do this together. So... I'm going to ask you tonight to bow your heads, your hearts. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray and Sam's going to come up. And guys, I want to tell you, as I've always say, just because the song in does not mean the invitation's over. And if you need to talk to some of us, maybe the Lord is speaking to your heart tonight about what the Lord, uh, God's doing. You start school soon. How will you tell others about Jesus? Holy Father, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask you right now that you will forgive us for where we have failed you. That you will guide us and lead us through grace and sufficiency of your grace and faith and love. And we ask right now, Lord, that you will guide us tonight. How are we to approach others? How are we to approach our school for the faith? How are we supposed to approach our friends? In your holy and precious name, we give this to you and you alone. Amen.